spent the weekend, perhaps, thinking about Independence Day and July the 4th. I know when Crabble yesterday was a rainy parade, um, there will be things like that around our state and around our country all over this weekend, and maybe some even till Tuesday. Tuesday is July the 4th on the calendar, and that date is celebrated as Independence Day in the United States. In 1776, in this building on the front of you in Philadelphia, the Declaration of Independence was, um, was, was ratified, was, was agreed upon. Um, it's not a document that holds any legal standing in the United States. It's not a legal document at all. It's simply a statement that the United States was separating themselves from Great Britain. Incidentally, today, July 2nd, was the day that it was agreed upon. Uh, it was not uh, sent out until two days later. But even when this Declaration of Independence was signed, that was in 1776, about a year earlier, April of 1775, conflict, actual battles in the American Revolutionary War had already began. They began just outside of Boston, where we were this past week, not far from there, in two places, Lexington and Concord, and had been fighting in other places as well. When we think about this, this Declaration of Independence it didn't really end anything. It started things. It already started. But the war would extend until 1783. Now, 1783, the Treaty of Paris was signed and officially ended the war. But I want you to think about this for a second because I want to walk you to this point. There have been over 40 treaties of Paris between 1229 in 2015. So the question is, why have there been so many treaties? Well, a treaty is a document that officially ends a war. Well, if there's been that many treaties, then there's been that many wars. The point of this being, there's been more treaties than even just that. Those are just the ones that were called the Treaty of Paris. But the point of this being is that there's this conflict that has always existed. This war that has always existed. There have always been wars before this picture and afterwards as well. If you were to go through this afternoon in your Old Testament, and you were to just flip through your Old Testament, don't even have to really read it hard. Maybe look at those black headings that are on the covers. You'll see war, conflict, fighting that took place. Some of you could probably come up with some examples Right off the bat. Some of you served in the military. Some of you perhaps served during wartime. Some of you maybe not. All of us know people that have served in the war of some kind. But war today is a little different than it was back then. If you were to watch a video or a documentary or read about the Revolutionary War, You'll see a lot of soldiers lining up and shooting at each other. You'll see one side wearing red coats and one side wearing everything that they had that they could possibly get. They don't really fight it that way today. War is much more technological than it used to be. 
But we also have sort of internal wars that exist for all of us. Because I've never served in the military. I've been in two fights in my life, and we would hardly call them wars. But we all have a set of sort of wars that we fight even today. We sometimes fight wars with each other. We sometimes fight wars within ourselves. And we also sometimes fight wars with God. And I want us to think about each of those three today. And then we'll think about how we can sort of resolve that. Let's start with war with each other. And when I say with each other, I mean with fellow Christians. I mean with people in the room right here, if that makes sense. Not necessarily the person at work that you just butt heads with. But you think we ought to be able to live in harmony with the people that we are in here with, right? If I can agree with, if I can live with, if I can be happy with any set of people, it ought to be the people inside these doors. Because in theory, we have some sort of shared connection. Maybe the people on the outside don't see things the way that I see it. I can see that there might be conflict, but in here, we should. But the Bible was full of people who were, quote-unquote, on the same team that were in constant conflict with each other. Lot quarreled with Abraham. Absalom created war with his father David. The disciples of Jesus argued as to who would be the greatest. Paul and Barnabas fought over John Mark. Point is, I just gave you four examples. You can give me 400. But we went from Genesis into Paul's letters right there. Just examples of people in conflict. And every one of those groups were people that were, as we said a moment ago, on the same team. They were people that were in agreement, as it were, with each other. When Paul wrote those letters in the New Testament, they're nearly all to churches. And each one of those dealt with specific issues that those churches faced as well. Now the church, this group of people, this entity, not unlike me and you, combined together, had problems. Paul wrote to Corinth. Because brethren were suing one another. Think about that for a second. Suing one another. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in any kind of lawsuit, but there's various types of lawsuits. It could be different kinds. But most of the time, it's because there's been some kind of conflict between two groups. Between two people. Well, I would hope that that would not be the case with me and you. But Paul was writing to people in Corinth who had done just that. In Galatia, Paul writes that they were biting and devouring one another. Think about that for a second. Biting and devouring. I know that's not literal language, but what that this what they really is saying is they were sort of like snapping at each other, sort of getting each other riled up, as, as it were. Maybe trying to finish off each other, to devour, whatever word you might want to say. Is that the kind of description we would want to have? To describe our relationship with people in this room. Think about that for a second. And Philippa. Philippa. We read about two women having trouble getting along with one another. I know that says women, but I could say man, it could say woman, man, it could say whatever. 
Because there are constantly this potential for there to be conflict between two different people. So the question is, this war with each other. Well, what kind of things are we going to get mad about? Well, I had Ben read from James, and Ben, I appreciate you reading, I know it was lengthy, uh, the reading there, but that's kind of where our focus is going to be in what James talked about. And James talked about a few different types of sort of potential conflicts among brothers. Let's go to James chapter 2 to start with. The first one that he mentions here, you could call it class war or partiality, whatever, but there's this conflict between people right here. We're going to read James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Let's start with here. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So that's what he's mentioning right here. When the person walks in the door, if you sort of give them that look over and he's like, oh, here's a spot for you. There's a spot back there for you. So you're showing partiality. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brother. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Think about this for just a second. I know you've probably had this question asked before. But if Jesus, the Jesus that walked on the, world, on the earth 2,000 years ago, if that person walked into this door, where would you have them stand? If you have to think about that for a second, you're already showing partiality. The seat should be right up here. Now, I'm not saying the first person that walks in here new has to sit here in the front. People may not be comfortable with that. But that should be their decision, not ours. We open the door for whoever it is. Rich man, poor man, whatever the case might be. But sometimes those conflicts, that partiality is revealed. James wrote again about fights within the church. James chapter 1 Verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, but slow to speak, right? And slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Think about that for a second. Swift to hear. So I'm going to hear it, but I'm going to be slow to speak. How many of us flip that? How many of us are swift to speak and slow to hear? The whole time you're talking, the only thing I want to do is you to get finished so I can say my part, right? We sometimes get into that, right? Well, <clears throat> we don't often think about it. Dad mentioned that when he was talking here at the table just a few moments ago. He said, our time thinking. Well, that's not exactly the same thing, but we need to spend a little time before we utter that verse. Because the last part, verse 20, what James says right there, the wrath of God does not, or excuse me, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many times have you done something when you're sad, said something when you're mad, you got home, chilled out a little bit, thought about it, and like, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean it. Now i got to call them back and apologize. They might still be. We all fall into that, right? Well, 
We're talking today about conflicts within the church. You ever said something like that to somebody in the church? You ever said that to somebody who's in here or in the building with you? That war with each other. Sometimes there's personal wars. James wrote in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So that's personal conflicts that we sometimes fall into right there. Well, why do we so easily fall into conflict with each other? Let's go to the second part. Well, I think it's because that sometimes we're at war with ourselves. Now, let's think about this for just a second. War within ourselves is quite often why we go to conflict with each other. I talk about this a lot of times with kids. And, I, and sometimes you see the way that they act. Sometimes they act out at other people because they're dealing with stuff on their own. Or maybe, in my case, dealing with 15-year-olds struggling to deal with things on their own. But I'm not going to say that us as adults always handle things perfectly as well. But sometimes it's those wars within our own heart that cause problems, cause wars in the church. We have this desire for things to go our way, right? We kind of want things to go our way. Sometimes we want possessions. Sometimes we want sort of power. But we want it to work out the way I want it to work out. Think about that for a second. Because sometimes when something is done and it doesn't seem to go perfectly, how many of us let the thought come into our head, they should have done it this way? How many of us say that? Raise your hand. Just be honest with me. Should have done it this way. Well, they should have done it this way. If they let me been in charge, that's how we would have done it, right? Well, we sometimes let that come into it. Simply put, selfishness, right? We kind of want it our way. There's the right way, there's our way, which is even more than the right way. But here's the problem. Selfishness leads to a couple of different things. One, it leads to wrong actions. Think about that for just a second. We might not murder and fight and war in the literal sense, but 1 John 3.15, a verse that all of you are familiar with, says, whoever hates his brother is a what? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Think about that for a second. I'm not going to murder my sister. I'm not going to murder my fellow brothers in here. But if it says if I hate them, that I'm a murderer as well. How many times have you ever had somebody do something and just got your fingers? I hate that guy. Well, I don't know that we literally mean that, but if we're not careful, we sort of let that deal, and we have these really conflict, this negative conflict with them. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But sometimes those wrong actions lead to wrong prayers. Think about that for a second. When we sit down to pray, what do we pray about? Are they selfish in our prayers? Well, I think by definition, sometimes a prayer requires a little selfishness. Because we are asking God for something, right? Nobody ever asked. Nobody ever got the catalog out of Christmas. I know I'm dating myself right here. And said, I don't want this or this. We said, I want this. And I asked Santa Claus for this. Or wrote that in a letter. I want this. I want this. Well, there's selfishness there, right? Well, we sometimes treat God like that Santa Claus. We ask this and this and this or whatever it might be. But that wrong prayer. We ask prayers of God 
to help alleviate whatever issue we're facing, is that prayer selfish? Or do we finish our prayer by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. See, the problem then is, when I've prayed for something, but it doesn't really come out the way that I think it should, do I get mad at God for not giving it to me the way that I want it? Do we sometimes do that? That conflict sometimes emerges there within ourselves. Well, why are people at war within themselves? Well, because sometimes we're at war with God. James mentions three enemies that we need to avoid to have peace with God. These all come from what Ben read, James 4, verses 1 through 12, just a moment ago. Number one, maybe number one, mentions the world, right? Said that to be a friend of such is to make an enemy of God. We can be pulled away from God. We can become less interested in God and more interested in other things. We all have to deal with that. But those other things are different for all of us. And I'm not saying that I'm good at this at all. But we all struggle with that. Number two, the flesh. Sometimes desires that we have can pull us away from God. These desires wage war within us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Here's the thing. When he says that as sojourners and pilgrims, a sojourner and a pilgrim is not somebody who's setting still. That is a person who is moving. Well, we as Christians are moving as well. We are moving through life to the finish line, wherever that finish line might be. But he says, abstain from these things that are going to pull you off the course, right? So if I have to walk from here to there, I need to stay away from the things that are going to pull me from sideways. How many of you, though, think if I were to stand you right here and told you to walk straight to that back door, you'd stop and talk to people on the way, right? Well, sometimes that happens in our life. We see these things on the side and say, ah, deal a little bit with this. Maybe deal a little bit with that. Then all of a sudden, we're sort of off the path. That's a war with God as well. Third, pride. Perhaps the greatest form of temptation, right? When we give in to pride, we become friends with Satan rather than God. So those are three things. And I want to finish, though, with how can we enjoy peace with God and each other? Because we said war and peace as the title. So how can we enjoy this peace with God and with each other? Well, there's a few things to think about. First of all, all wars end with some form of a treaty. If there's no treaty, there's no end of the war. Some of you may have been to Korea or may remember when the Korean War was taking place. There's never been a treaty signed. Technically, North and South Korea are still at war with each other, even though the last bullet was shot in 1953. There has to be a legal end to it. Well, for us, we need a treaty, an agreement to stop fighting. To stop fighting with others, to stop fighting with ourselves, and to stop fighting with God. That doesn't mean I have to have a written document. We don't have to sign it. But there needs to be some sort of end to this. Now, how do we do it? Well, let's do three things to finish up. Because these are all, these aren't mine. They're taken from James. Number one, we need to submit to God. That's difficult, right? 
What does it mean to submit? We get in. We say like what that verse says right there. I knew when I said it a minute ago. I was like, I think I've got that stored away later. But when it says, not my will, but thy will be done. That's submission, right? Because in very few things in our life are we submissive. We're almost like, well, I want it to get done. I'm just going to do it myself. I'll go out and get it done. That's not the way it works right there. Number one, enjoy peace with God and with each other is to submit to God. Number two, number two. Draw near to God. Well, we read, draw near to God, and He'll draw near to us, right? Think about that. The closer we get to something, the closer it gets. You ever had two magnets, and you put two magnets there, and you try to put them together, and they just won't work, right? That's just not the way it works. You take those two magnets and two circles on the back of the little thing, and they just push against each other. They won't let it get closer. Well, that's not the way it works with God. If we draw near to God, we're like the magnet going on the refrigerator. You ever held a magnet close to the refrigerator and it just jumps out and almost catches the fridge? That's how I read that with God. The closer we get to God, what's the other end going to be? Jump right there. It's going to draw us even closer right there. How do we do it? Well, one, we need to cleanse our hands as we saw right there. Get our sins forgiven. We need to purify our hearts. We need to be devoted God. Number three. I thought about asking Josh to sing this song, but I figured he already had them picked out, so I didn't ask him. We need to humble ourselves in the sight of God. Is it possible to submit without humility? I don't think so. Because humility says what we said a minute ago. Not my will, but thou. I'll let it be your way. Well, that's what the submission would be right there. The result of that is God will lift you up. God provided His Son, Jesus, for us. But we have to hold up our end of the deal. Is that correct? We have to stop these wars and conflicts with each other. I know that it's not easy to get along with people. I know that there's scriptural examples of people not getting along with one another. But I've heard people say, and I won't take any kind of original credit for this, but look around the room real quick. These are the people that you're going to spend an eternity in heaven with. And you can't get along with them in here? That's going to be a tough eternity if everybody there is people worrying conflict with. But I think the thing might be you might not get to go there in the first place. If we can't get along on earth, why are we going to be able to get along up there? We need to make sure that that's straightened out right there from the get-go. Bible verse there at the end, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 17. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Our request for you is simply to do what God says. If we do what God says, that'll eliminate a lot of these conflicts that might potentially arise. If we look to God as our example, then that, is, that will keep those conflicts from happening. I'm not saying everything's always going to be perfect. That's never been the case. But we need to strive for that. And we need to, if it's Independence Day, we need to declare our independence, as it were, from these things that pull us aside and sign that treaty, as it were, with God to become one and the same with Him. If there's any way we can help you, anything we can do for you, we invite you to come. Always stand and say, I